0: Hello and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and excoriate its exhausting adaptation, Game of Thrones.
1: This is where being a book snob is a good thing.
0: Kylie and here with me is Julia hi everyone and we both write for wait what do we write for again Julia I'm sick of always introducing (laughs) the
1: Thefandamentals.com. exploring the fundamentals of fandom
0: we no, we changed that it's fundamentally sound fandom analysis right
1: fundamentally sound fandom analysis I remember the old one as well
0: yeah. Well, both those things are what we do on mm-hmm. that site where we have all sorts of geeky media coverage, be it news, reviews, analysis, uh glossaries, yep. <laughs> we do
1: we it all. Books. Well, I suppose there was that, that Star Wars review glossary.
0: Yeah, there was yeah. that. There was that. Uh and you and I could create more glossaries like if we had to. Mm,
1: just we like definitely... yeah, I don't know. Just our weird vocabulary that we have.
0: Anyway, uh the past few episodes on Unabashed Book Snobbery have mm. been all about the book snobbery portion of it. Um where we were just ripping apart Game of Thrones season six uh through our retrospective series. Yep. Uh, we did we did have Patriarchy Brain before that. Um we, we needed we need
1: a patriarchy brain.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really did. But uh you know, now that there's like a little bit of a gap in between uh before season seven starts, oh god. Uh don't Joanna, worry. Just, it's, it's
1: gonna be short. It'll
0: be fine. It's gonna be short. Exactly. That's the only thing that's gonna be through. And later. Um, Julia and I wanted to do just a book episode, mm-hmm. but we also didn't feel like planning Doing or putting in all. effort into it. So it is going to be, what the fuck was that?
1: That is the guy with the knife sharpening truck. He oh. sharpens knives and like oh, lawnmower why? blades and he has this little bell on a string and he actually rings it by pulling the string.
0: Do you have any knife sharpening needs? <laughs> Not at the moment.
1: He'll be here all summer. That's fine.
0: Huh. Oh, right. Anyway, uh, I was saying th- this this episode, it's going to be Revenge of the Inbox. Exactly. It's our third open inbox hour, only this one is not going to be about Game of Thrones. There will be at no Game of all. Thrones here. No. Except just for a song a Game of song. Thrones,
1: which is the first book in the series.
0: Yes, we can talk about the events of a Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But not about and, Game of Thrones. All right. So we're going to just dive right in. Julia and I. Thank everyone, by the way, for for sending them in. Like, honestly, we very much appreciate it. We did not read them ahead of time because we really wanted to give you that authentic Kylie and Julia experience. You
1: really didn't want to plan, is what you're... I don't know. I have bathrooms to clean, okay? I can't read in boxes.
0: I know. And I have things. scary things to do. (laughs) Shut up. Um... But we wanted to start off because we do have an email. It's unabashedbooksnobs at gmail.com, but it's also, uh, Kylie at the or Julia at the mm-hmm. And a few of you very, or a couple of you very lovely people sent in an email. So we're going to give priority to those because basically that's a we, lot of effort, dude. Yeah. Like so much effort. Um, so our first caller today. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sarah sent us a really lovely email, um, with. Like, three asks, I think, came out of this. Three separate ones. And they're all really good and well thought out. So, yay, Sarah. Let's start. Julia, do you want to read her first one?
1: Oh, no. Reading things. That's not my bag. Okay, let's do this. (laughs) Okay. You talked about during the Cersei Lannister show about how Maggie the Frog's prophecy was self-fulfilling, how the thing Cersei does prevent it makes it come true. I wonder if the same is true about her leadership, patriarchy, and maybe an individualized assessment. Causes the people around her to not believe her, not believe she is likely to be a good ruler, which causes them not to support her, and the lack of support fuels her paranoia and mistakes as a ruler, and so people feel justified in not in having not supported her. Not that she doesn't have vices, but they might have been temperate if she had if she had been trained in leadership when she was growing up, experienced ruling, and the support of her family members. What a good question!
0: What a good question! Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um well like
1: i know it's kind of hard to unpack this you know but,
0: but right cuz it's know. like what's what's the inception of her shitty ruling mm-hmm.
1: but like there is that thing like uh you know the Rowan Weber principle that a woman has to shit uh has to piss twice as hard in order to get like half the recognition um and so people like there's definitely that patriarchal tendency to kind of like you know, if she makes one mistake. It means that she's a horrible ruler, which means that all women are horrible women, rulers, yep. mm-hmm. right? Um And I think there are there are things that mm-hmm. she did that in a man would have been like forgiven, like would have been like, you know, oh, she's you know, he's learning, he's it's not so bad, like he has a good hand, it's fine, like all the shit that like fucking Aegon the Fourth got up to. Yeah, I, I you was know, gonna say, like,
0: if we compare this to like the Westerosi kings that have existed yeah. before, like
1: if Aegon the Fourth was a woman, like just you know. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and another thing this. Oops, oh, sorry. I should stop.
1: And, like, you know, like somebody like Rhaenyra, who, like, like oh, okay, Cersei. Thank you. I was her, just about
0: to bring this up. Had her vices,
1: say, made mistakes. Yeah. But. The,
0: the, that's like, exactly what it reminds me of, because it's very obvious that there was a total double standard going on with her rule. Yeah. When she was. I mean, she was not a good ruler. No. Not especially, definitely. No, but she wasn't especially terrible considering everyone else. Mm hmm. So.
1: And, like, like something like, you know, Rhaenyra's Ruthless streak, which in a man would have been, like, not, maybe not, like, praised as a virtue, but seen as, like, you know, something that made him strong, even if it's not in the most ideal way.
0: I think what might be most constructive in Mm. how to unpack this is, like, if you compare her to sort of other female rulers within this system, like, like Danny does deal with patriarchy, I guess it might not be as perf- like profoundly felt in mm-hmm. Essos. Just the the system she's given up that there's not patriarchy there. I'm just saying it's like she's kind of building stuff up herself. Yeah, and it is true that like every woman that we see in a position of authority, whatever that is, even even Catelyn, like trying to give Rob advice, you know, they're all very cognizant of the fact that they are a woman doing this. Yeah, and that does it has to affect their approaches, right?
1: Yeah, and even, like, you know, someone like Ariane, who's very, like, conf- uh, self-confident in, like, her gender as it relates to her ability to rule. Um, yeah. She's uncomfortable about other things. But, um, <laughs> like, there's still that awareness of, like, you know, as a woman in a patriarchal system, there's things she can't do. Like, there's, like, military things that she needs other people to do for her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that plays into it as well. And, but, like, um, the thing that is... um. Like, you know, uh, as uh, Sarah points out, Cersei hasn't had really any training to be a ruler. She wasn't really raised with any kind of, like, expectation of ruling. So that's not something that was really instilled in her.
0: Well, Ditto goes for Danny, right? Yeah, I suppose. I, I, think, I think what I'm trying to get at is that I wouldn't call this self-fulfilling necessarily. But I do believe that Cersei's in a bit of a feedback loop with mm-hmm. herself. For sure. And a lot of that has to do with Cersei's own temperament versus, you know, like, we see Danny, we see Arya, and we see pretty much, uh, like, Sansa even, spin things to their advantage within the system. And we see the way they're able to, like, use, you know, their womanly weakness as a strength. Like, Danny, you know, Joy and I always fucking say this, but, like, I'm just a young woman foolish (laughs) in the ways of war. But that's her tactic. And, of course, Cersei won't do that because she hates women mm-hmm, exactly so a lot of it's her internalized misogyny is going to change how she approaches being a woman in a position where it's more like she's just angry at the fact that she doesn't automatically have the support like a man would and doesn't she doesn't know, really does that, deal with the reality did you drop of off her already? position i guess
1: um i was just thinking does that make cersei in a way more subversive than somebody like even Arianne, who is willing to use kind of the patriarchy to her advantage but Cersei mean, isn't. That's
0: that's so difficult to say. Yeah, <laughs> because like at the same time she's you know thinking about how Septa should be raped mm-hmm. and like she's she's a fucking misogynist. Yeah, and it's not like is it subversive for a woman to be a misogynist? I think she's <laughs> sort of it's like no, the answer is no to that. Okay, but I think it, and and she doesn't do anything to break the system. She's just no. annoyed that she yeah, has exactly. to deal with it. So. No, but I do think that there's a difference in how she approaches it where she will just unabashedly do the, what the fuck she wants and not be constrained in the same way. Yeah. So, so it's not really subversion so much as it's just she's kind of trying to like not even dignify that she's a woman. Yeah, but I know
1: I I do think like this kind of uh this conflict this kind of nature versus, versus nurture question in Cersei's character is kind of the point. Um you know like the, there's that exploration of like gender and power but also like you know her as just not a nice person and how yeah. that how that interacts yeah. is kind of like you're supposed to be asking the question like you know is is did she fail as a ruler because of the patriarchy did she fail just because she's incompetent did she fail because you know she's mentally ill like you know you're supposed to be answering asking those questions
0: i think i think we can at least recognize that her being a woman did undercut some of the stuff she was doing and definitely mm-hmm. and she definitely did have a point with a lot of it yeah I mean the walk of shame kind of proves that right like she was oh, fucking absolutely. paraded yeah she was like paraded naked in yeah. the just most misogynistic performance and the possible. way like
1: that people talk about her as a ruler kind of like when she's not in the room you know uh, right the the example that comes to mind is in a clash of kings when Pycelle and Tyrion are talking and Pycelle is just like oh you know the queen despite the frailties of her sex this and this and this and, yes. Like you know, he's praising her, but he's praising her in the most sexist way possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like honestly, the walk of shame too. That mm-hmm. she's no longer a viable ruler because people have seen her naked. Yeah. You know, like that's what it's that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So again, I, to Sarah's point, I think this is like definitely the right question to be asking, and I think it's a great tension to tease out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> There's no clean answer to it. I think it's just important to be looking at that uh, tension. Yes, I agree. Okay, second question of Sarah's. You mentioned during one of the podcasts that George R. R. Martin has said there was a significance to the fact that Santa lost her direwolf, but I may be misremembering, you were unsure what to make of it. Oh, your mismemory, Sarah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the lo- events of the loss. Uh, portents have already come to pass. The identity of Sansa's arc after A Game of of Thrones... The entire. I'm sorry, yeah, the entirety of Sansa's arc after A Game of Thrones is enabled by the fact that she is separated from Lady. If Lady had been there, she would not have been so vulnerable in King's Landing and would have had to... and would be difficult to hide her identity in the Vale if she were accompanied by Lady. For this, I think it's important to note that Arya was also separated from Numeria at the same time and as you pointed out, they're experiencing parallel struggles with loss of identity, which I don't believe could be as deep had their direwolves been with them.
1: I mean, I, I think that, like, you know, if Sansa hasn't lost her identity at this point, you know, it's not likely to happen now. like,
0: Right. I mean, like, there are worrying signs that mm-hmm. you could pull out of that newest chapter with uh, her in the veil. I yeah. guess Elaine, Elaine won.
1: But, like, but- the thing that is definitely true is that the fact that, she's, uh, that she was separated from Lady is what makes everything that happens to her possible. Like, there's no way that Lady would have survived the coup in King's Landing anyway, right? But...
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the... The thing Martin said, and I don't think he understands the dialogue surrounding Sansa in the fandom. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it basically, someone said, I don't think Sansa losing her direwolf makes her any less of a Stark. And Martin said something like, you don't? Mm-hmm. Which could literally mean anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, like... <sighs> I like there's there's significance to the fact there's significance to like Lady's death in Ned's arc too because like Ned was the one who killed her and like mm-hmm. you can argue that his downfall was also like it was self inflicted in like a way that like you know he had a decision to make and he made what he thought was the right decision at the time, but then the consequences of that was kind of like his downfall, you know? And that's kind of emblematic of his entire arc. Um, but, like, it's not as though Santa has forgotten Lady, you know?
0: No, not at all. And, uh, what, it's her last chapter in The Feast for Crows, I think, where she hears the, like, ghost wolf howling or whatever, you know? Yeah. And just,
1: she was separated from Lady the same way she was separated from her family. Like, in a physical sense, but also in a kind of, like, you know, a sense in terms of her as a political entity. You know, like... Yeah. And... But like like I said, I mean, like...
0: It's been... We're just really having and hard. No, but like, if we...
1: it's been five... Bo- like, you know, Lady was killed towards, like, you know, the end of the beginning of the first book, and we're five books in, and Sansa still hasn't lost her identity, quote-unquote. So, like, you know, she's well, running out of time to do
0: that. <laughs> again, what Sarah says, I'm wondering if the events of the loss have already come to pass. Yeah. Like... I could totally see that. Absolutely. Just given how her King's Landing trajectory went. Yeah. And it sort of seems like she's getting more in touch with her starkness now that she's like navigating this, uh, eerie situation or the veil vale situation and she's able to like put more agency in. You know, she's, and she definitely, definitely is on a parallel journey with Arya. So I yeah. think it, I think it is significant that they scattered. You know, but is it significant
1: the- that Lady's dead and Namiri is just lost? You know?
0: Probably. I mean, it's going to make Sansa's life shittier. Yeah, but just like like Nymeria is like
1: terrorizing the Riverlands, you know, like that's yeah. not a good thing.
0: Yeah, so she's I the best. <laughs> yeah, I, it. I. I again, I don't think I have an answer, but I. I could totally see this already having. I mean, obviously, Lady's death factored into Sansa's arc. That's that's what kicked everything off. Yeah, it was sort of the. Her whole arc is about the, you know, breakdown of idealizations and and all that.
1: Yeah. Learning not to victim blame. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Sarah's last question. Okay. Oh, geez, I have to read this, don't I? All
1: right. Uh, I see a lot of elements that are shared between Daenerys and Stannis and wonder if there is enough to consider them as foils, which is hard because Stannis is not a POV character or if they're superficial. Both are royal blood driven to reclaim the Iron Throne from usurpers. Both are associated with fire and blood. Daenerys to her dragons and house words. Stannis through Rallor. Both have burned people at the stake as a form of execution. Stannis does it for Rallor. Daenerys has the first we saw with Miramazdor. Both are capable of doing cruel things and justifying herself. Da- uh, Daenerys does them from raid and Stannis does them from duty. Both have a brother killed by an ally of theirs. Drogo killed Viserys. M- Melisandre killed Renly. There are contrasts Stannis is older and experienced, male, homely, and a respected leader. Daenerys is young and inexperienced, though still competent, comely, and a beloved leader. I am not certain if it's incidental, but there is enough there to make me wonder, and I would like to know if you can make anything of it.
0: So, we talked about superficial um, foils before, I mm-hmm. think, in relation to how people talk about John and Ramsay. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we were like, because people we were like, they both have canine friends and are bastards <laughs> and have the last name Snow. It's like, okay. they are basically
1: the same person. Kind of.
0: <laughs> so like, that's where we went with Superficial. I think in the case mm. of uh, any contender for the throne, really, you sort of have to draw parallels yeah. with them. Um you are right that stannis isn't a point of view character so it's not like john and danny who are holy shit the same yeah. fucking person like oh my god uh huh. It there's a lot here
1: yeah like i think like stannis
0: um has a lot of lessons about kingship in his arc yeah it's difficult to give consideration to stannis's arc because why we don't really get it you know Yeah, i Look mean like Davos. i know
1: he definitely has an arc like Sure. The whole thing about learning about the difference between entitlement and duty and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you think Danny has a similar arc?
1: A little bit. Right? Because she's talking about like how she stayed in Marines so she could learn how to rule. You know, so she can be competent when she rules Westeros.
0: Yeah. I mean they're at such different stages in their leadership that it's Are they though?
1: It's a little hard. They're both kind of like in situations that seem like they're kind of, you know, in a trough, but really they're not. That's how That's they both true. feel like to me at this point. That's true. Cuz like Danny's in the fucking in the middle of fucking nowhere like naked with a dragon and Stannis is in the middle of a blizzard, uh, you know. Yeah, with a smaller force going up against Winterfell.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, no, I mean I think I think there is a lot there when you take both of them into consideration.
1: I'm not sure what any of this means, though. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. That's that's what I was thinking.
1: I mean, I think it, it depends what you think of Stannis and how important he is.
0: Yeah, is there, like, a commentary on leadership from this? Mm-hmm. Or is it just, like, these two people are similar, it will be interesting if when they meet... If they meet? It's a big if, yeah. I think. Because,
1: um, like, I was like, sorry, Stan Stans, but, like, you really think Stannis is
0: Edgar? Well. I don't know if people. I don't know if Stan Stan's even think that.
1: I don't know what Stan Stan's think at all. To tell you the truth, they
0: just, they just think he's awesome. Well, yeah. careful, because Sarah, it was like I love Stannis after this, <laughs> and we're we're gonna try. We're gonna try our hardest with Stannis in the Stannis podcast. I'm yeah, making when Joy we do eventually it. do it. Um, no, I'm I'm thinking about those theories that like Stannis is gonna become the great other or whatever, mm. and then he'd be going up against John and Danny. That's, I
1: mean, like I don't see how that would happen, but I suppose it's
0: possible. Like I don't know there's there's something there, I think it's always interesting to put foils together mm-hmm. like th- that's when I find foils interesting is when they play off of each other right now. It's kind of like yeah, I could see a lot of parallels between them. there's definitely enough well, there what about like to the parallel about.
1: between Danny and John They're like not even really aware that the other exists, but that parallel is really really strong but they're the very same meaning- person and me- really meaningful
0: and I just think we could because we're in both of their heads, and we see how they're developing together, basically. Okay. And I think, I think it's. I mean, I don't want to assume to know what would happen, but it does seem like they're maybe on convergent paths here.
1: You think they're gonna fuck?
0: No. <laughs> what? I didn't say no. <laughs> it's gonna happen on the show, apparently. What is this? Some kind of bad fan fiction? No. Um. I didn't say that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! They're
1: gonna but fuck, I, and the walls gonna fall down while they fuck. <laughs>
0: God, Julia, we're not—you're breaking the cardinal rule here. <laughs> you can cut it out; it's too funny. Mm. I just think there's so much packed into both these characters that for them to not interact would be like mm-hmm. a fucking cock tease okay. or something. Um, people say that about San- uh,
1: Sandor and yeah. Sansa of reuniting, though.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> think that. I, I status is a lot more important than Sandor. Oh, honestly. those are fighting words, but yeah, I agree i was thinking about this today because there's like people i follow that are really into um that are really really into uh, stan into sandor and i'm just like i just don't i just don't think he's that significant i really don't like he's fine but you know stan stanis is like it's just a little more integrated into everything yeah that's
1: that's very very true
0: yeah, I don't know. Okay, it's like, just uh, my thoughts. So,
1: in conclusion, I don't think this is superficial at all, but I'm not sure how meaningful it is. And,
0: and it we might... don't know what to say about it, so we're just going to mumble.
1: Like, it may be incidental. It might not be. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but uh, we're just mumbling at this point. Yeah. So, let's move on. Um, we got another email from Michael, which was a lovely email as well, and this one had one question in it, which is I know you talk about internal and external arcs a lot, and I find that fascinating. How would you apply that to Jaime's redemption arc? I find it interesting that although Jaime internally redeemed himself, his actions such as stripping the river run from the Tullys and giving it to the Freys are simply upholding the corrupt Lannister regime. So do you think that Jaime is in part condemning himself as he redeems himself? Yes. That's called internal and external honor. Um... Well, uh, yeah, but, like, is is the Lannister regime particularly more corrupt than any other? Uh... Like, I know we're rooting against them, but...
1: Yes. I, okay. I think it is, just because, like, it doesn't have, like, legitimacy.
0: And they are setting the, uh, the mountain on everyone. Yeah. Right? Like, that was the whole thing. Like, the the Riverlands are ravaged because of them. Basically. And, like, the
1: Lannisters are, like, really land-grabby in a way that most previous regimes didn't seem to be you know like the I'm way sure. that they grabbed Derry and hayford and like places like that through marriage and just kind of like seem to want to put themselves into everything in a very direct way and like
0: the phrase who got riverrun
1: they're basically lannisters too you know like um but
0: i think i think what this is asking what michael's asking is does this does this actually tarnish his internal honor too like i mean yeah. what is he actually fighting for here
1: he's very like um what's the word I want to use? Is it even nihilistic? Like he doesn't really give a fuck about the political implications of what he's doing, it
0: seems. No.
1: He's just kinda like
0: He's happy he did it without bloodshed. Yeah,
1: like you know? he he kind of has this idea of how he's gonna go out and do justice. But he doesn't
0: like the fact He's like anti rape. Wow, what a hero. Um I know. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Like he does have an idea of like chivalric code, you know. Yeah,
1: but like the like wider like kind of geopolitical implications of all his actions don't really seem to occur to him.
0: I don't think they interest him. Yeah, like, he's just because like he's when he just talks not about the smart Lannister,
1: when he talks like when um he the um what's the Blackwood's castle called? I don't remember. Yeah, well, the Blackwood's castle. It's called like the place is called Blackwood Vale. I'm not sure about the castle. Um. But like when he takes that castle, like there's like some mention of the fact that it's the last holdout against the Starks, and like now the official, like um, the last holdout of the Starks, and now the war is officially over. Like he doesn't like
0: he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't, the, like that's that's that's, it's like, like
1: a... fucking momentous,
0: and it's barely yeah. like really even. Yeah, it's kind of just like a passing. Like oh, yeah. okay, the war's done.
1: The war's done. Now I'm gonna do some tourism in Penny Tree. Like yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. That's really true. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on how you judge his internal honor yourself, but for mm-hmm. him, you know, he's upholding holding this, like, value system. And, like, his really internal honor isn't
1: there. exactly redeemed at this point either, just, like, no, the way he thinks about Cersei, the way he thinks about his children, it's, like, there's nothing very praiseworthy about any of that. No. And he has this vague conception that he wants to be a better man, but, like... Is it's, his, is his conception of a better man good enough for us, the reader, you know, like...
0: It's kind of Theon-esque in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he is, yeah, he's just trying to be better. Yeah. And that's all any of us can really do. But, and not to get like too, you know, d like, who's the monster that did this shit? Like, people are capable of reform. It's just, yeah. I don't think Jamie's really connecting things on a larger scale.
1: Yeah. That's I'm not bad. sure what that means. For him, morally, I suppose.
0: Yeah, for the reader, morally. I think, think like,
1: like, Jamie kind of, I think he has this sense that he as an individual is kind of helpless against things. Yeah. Like, he did that, like, one extremely momentous thing in killing Eris,
0: but... And he might do an extremely momentous thing again in killing another. But, like, it
1: didn't really change anything in the end, and I think he's kind of aware of that. Yeah. But, like, the only thing it really did was, like, you know, turn his shit into honor, his, his honor into shit, not his shit into honor. I well, it, it saved
0: a bunch of, I mean, saved yeah. a bunch of lives. But, like, but... nobody,
1: like, knows about that. It's, like, it's kind of like, you know, like, it's kind of a, a hypothetical abstract that a lot of people would have done even to do it. But, like, you know.
0: It's true. Well, Brienne knows. Oh so. well. Yeah, I know. All right.
1: Um. Next question. There
0: actually, there actually is a Brienne and Jamie ask, if I can quickly try to find it. So that makes a lot of sense, right? No, I thought we
1: were going in this like haphazard order.
0: Fine, okay, no, we're going this completely... Okay, like... <laughs> okay Anonymous said... It's my turn. Oh, okay, cool, do it.
1: Um, What do you guys think about Visenya may- maybe poisoning Anus in his sickbed? Because, like, I always thought... This was very much in the air. Most people seem to think she definitely killed him and always wanted to. For me, it's more like if she did, it was because he was so obviously afraid of taking a firm hand that it would be the undoing of their dynasty. And she thought her warrior son, Vagor, would handle the situation better. Not that he did so.
0: SMH. Uh, Well, as for, like, I mean, fandom kind of just takes things as gospel. So, like, people just, this is definitely an assumption people make.
1: Yeah, but and like I, the thing—the thing about like fucking the World of Ice and Fire is that it's in universe, right? So you have to think about like not only like literary tropes in our world, but also like like Westermeister's Lens. yeah, like right? Westerosi literary tropes.
0: Yeah, it, it's like it's anti-Targ propaganda, basically. Yeah. It's pro—it's pro-Lannister propaganda, right?
1: Yeah, and like you know, Visenya and Rhaenyra and all those kind of like Targaryen, like like the strong Targaryen women. Mm-hmm seem to have that kind of very, like, power-hungry, ruthless trope surrounded with them. Yes, you know? a bit. As opposed to the more kind of maternal, softer, like, you know, long-suffering, mm-hmm. more saintly Targaryen women like Neres or... Oh, my uh, God. Je- What's her name? Jahira?
0: Yeah, there's there's a huge, huge Madonna-whore complex yeah. going on with all Alison, of them. even. Yeah. So, like, what you described, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah... <laughs> Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I mean, like in our own, like, there's, there's always like these, like, when, when a ruler dies, kind of of an illness, it's always just like, hmm, that was super convenient, and like it usually is super convenient for somebody, you know, mm-hmm. and it's entirely possible that yeah, he was poisoned, and but like, you know, there's kind of no way to get at that at this point, especially when we're talking about a fictional historical narrative.
0: Yeah, exactly. And- it's, I think
1: like just like being kind of aware of the fact that these tropes exist.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many people read a World of Ice and Fire at face value, mm-hmm. and it drives me crazy because it's like so obviously not, not like, meant to be taken that you know? way. Yeah, no, not the slightest. It's supposed to be an in text inverse thing. Um, we have no way of knowing mm-hmm. is really the answer.
1: I mean, it seems like something that Visenya is capable of. That's for sure. But what does that mean? I mean, like it's entirely possible that the dude got sick and died. That happens, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, just because Augustus died when he was, like, fucking 80 doesn't mean Livia killed him, you know? <laughs> like, she <laughs> might have, but maybe she, she didn't. She
0: might have. Like, you know? But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's investigate that,
1: Yeah. And, like, you know, if you're going to write a novel about, you know, Emperor Claudius, then maybe, like, it's a decision you have to make in order to, like, you know, go with your themes or whatever. But, like, if we're talking about, like, actual history, even fictional history, there's really right. no way of knowing that. And it's a decision you have to make based on, like, what you think the point of the story is.
0: So we will leave that decision up to you yes. guys. Want. <laughs> hey, Julia. Mm-hmm. Could Oberon and Alaria's relationship be considered an example of an open polyamorous relationship? Okay, I
1: love this ask because, um. Yes. <laughs> yes, but like, like you would say yes, and that's like my first instinct. Like, of course, of course they are, but like the evidence for this is kind
0: of scanty, actually. Yeah, they just have threesomes, right? They
1: might possibly have considered having a threesome once, I think is the most you can say definitively from the text.
0: And they're, and they were doing it to freak out. Yeah. Like,
1: because like, like, I think it's, it's like, you know, it's the, the forbidden topic and how like, flanderized this, this aspect of the relationship was. Um, that it just like kind of colors our view of the text right now. But like, so what happened is like, he's talking to Tyrion and he says that like, do you know any sex workers who are beautiful and blonde? Basically, because my girlfriend's curious about beautiful blonde women. And like, <laughs> The way he says that, see, like, it almost seems as though, like, you know, this is, like, something that's kind of happened recently, and he's like, oh, you're curious about blonde women, huh? Let's see if we can do something
0: about King's Landing. Well, and and you also have to consider, like, why Oberyn is saying this. Yeah, exactly. exactly, Because, like, he's there to freak everyone out. Mm -hmm. So not only is he like, oh, yeah, my wife's totally into women, and we're going to check this out together, but he's also, like, saying blonde women specifically because they're super fucking Dornish. Yeah, Like, it was very, like, the whole it thing has is long very pointed. women in
1: Dorne, by the way, but whatever.
0: <laughs> of course they do! Yeah.
1: But, the, like, that's you know, what... he's basically describing Cersei, and, like, you know, it's, like, that's kind of the point, too. But, yes. um, and, but, like, it's clear that, like, Oberyn definitely, like, you know, gets his dick wet elsewhere at some point, sometimes, at least. Like, because we know that he did, like, um, he engaged the services of Alayyaya, at the very least. Um. Um, yes. which might have more to do with like, you know, his research about Tyrion than anything, but he definitely had sex with her. Um,
0: oh yeah.
1: But so, and like, then when we get to know Ilaria a little bit better, like she's, I uh, I don't want to make assumptions of her just because she's very conventionally feminine, conventionally maternal, but like, you don't get that kind of like, you know, the, she's not
0: Worshipping a Lysani like, sex Yeah, God? she's not...
1: Exactly. Like, she's not, like, necessarily the kind of, like, you know, woman who lives in a brothel. Um,
0: oh, God.
1: So, yeah, there's really, like... There's really no way to tell exactly what their well, relationship is sex, like.
0: He, well, he has sex with a sex worker, mm-hmm. and they're still loving after that. So let's just say yes to Well, just, like, the
1: way please. that, the like, you know, like, sex workers for these highborn men in Westeros, like... Oh, yeah. I sometimes wonder if it counts, you know,
0: in their minds. I think it would dorn because there's some female sexual agency there.
1: Yeah, but, like, even, like, I think that, like, you know, if you are to go out with the bros and there are sex workers there, it wouldn't really count.
0: Yeah, you might be right about that, yeah.
1: honestly. So, you like, might be. yeah. No, but just, like, I, I love this question because just, like, you know, my first reaction was, like, yeah, of course, duh, that's canon. But then I really thought about it. I was, like, hmm. Like, it could be, yeah. could be canon.
0: Well, and, like, I'm sorry, but, like, you said, It was flanderized, Mm -hmm. so, like, it doesn't really matter at this point. It just, this is what everyone's going to think of it. Yeah. Now until Mm -hmm. always, But I think that, like,
1: you know, Oberyn, even, like, you know, he he has a kind of, like, if there was one person that Oberyn could be monogamous with, it is Olaria. but there's really no way to know one way or the other.
0: Yes, that's very true. Mm -hmm. All right, next one.
1: Anonymous said, what does Sansa want? Said no one ever. (laughs) If it were up to her, what do you think Sansa wants now? Who would she want to marry, if anyone? I'm glad you put that last clause there or I would have yelled at you. (laughs) Just so you know.
0: Um, I mean, from what I can tell her right now is just leave
1: my my fucking 13-year-old vagina alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think she's particularly Mm -hmm. interested in anyone right now. Um, I think she just wants to be in control of her sexual destiny. Yeah, in control is- of her <laughs> destiny, period. Yep, that's it. That's, that's the answer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Honestly.
1: Yeah, like, like, she wants, like, the thing, like, um...
0: She started to get a panic attack when, when L- Little Finger was like, you're gonna marry again. Yeah,
1: but, like, the whole, like, um... What Sansa wants is, like, to control her own destiny, and that's yep. seen as especially ambitious of her, you know? Like, people are calling her, like, you know... Scheming and ambitious because what she wants is sexual agency. Wait, do you
0: mean do you mean like fandom or fandom, like in text? Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, because like in text I don't think anyone really thinks about her. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're right about that. I think Cersei calls her San...
1: scheming. I'm not sure.
0: Well yeah, because she like thinks she's in on this stuff. Yeah. but... Okay. <laughs>
1: is that all we have to say about that? Yeah. Yes. Leave her vagina alone. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, Drafe said to G O T give some musings. Hello. I really enjoy your fundamentals content. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We work very hard at it. Seriously. Yes. For the A Song of Ice and Fire podcast, what do you think is going to happen with Stoneheart? Is Brienne going to kill her? Are Jamie and or Brienne going to die at her hand? How's that cliffhanger going to be resolved? Why are you asking (laughs) us? We don't know. Did we answer this?
1: I feel like we answered this. I mean, we may have answered similar. I have no idea. I don't know, know. but
0: I can't wait to find out. Yeah. Are we frustrating? This is how we always yeah.
1: answer speculative questions. <laughs> I don't think Jamie and Brienne's arcs are over. I will say that.
0: Well, I don't think Brienne's just going to, like, we're going to find out, like, it's another Brienne chapter. Oh, yeah, that was really sad when I had to kill Jamie. Yeah. Off page. like. But I, I can't even have a guess. I can guess a little bit at, like, Stoneheart digging up a will of yeah. Rob's to legitimize John, but, like, that's about it. So, I'm sorry. We're going to be really disappointing.
1: Anyway, uh, is it my turn to read?
0: hmm
1: Anonymous said, for the USB podcast, I'm not sure if this quite fits, but how do you think Catelyn would have done as consort in Dorne in regular circumstances? No secret stuff, no secret targ stuff slash war, just a normal marriage to the prince slash future prince and raising her kids in Dorne. How would she cope with all the bastards, paramours, same-sex relationships in the open, raising a daughter to be a ruling princess one day? She's a Tully, she do her duty, but how much does does her PB get in the way, and how much of it can she overcome?
0: Do you just, like, drop her into a wedding in Sunspear you <laughs> happens? Just go really kind of divergent.
1: I mean, um, does she necessarily have to marry the prince, such of your prince, or? No,
0: she just... she just has to be a, a consort.
1: Okay. Um, like... She's,
0: she's PB'd, man. She, she is
1: PB'd, but she's also, like, kind of, like like, she accepts, like, kind of all the northern stuff very...
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, she kind of rolls with the norms up there. For yeah, but
1: she's also, like, I feel like an outsider. She says that, like, very explicitly.
0: Well, uh, I think as long as she's consort like, she would really, really default to what her um, husband says, though. If he wanted a paramour, like...
1: Well, then that, you know, that's,
0: that's her failing, right? I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it would be an adjustment. If he had Bastard's yeah, that would be an adjustment. But if he was honest with her about the shit, like the, mm. I don't know, man. She's really PB'd. Yeah, I but think she, she's not peeved in a per,
1: She's not peeved in a per clutchy way. You know, she'd no. be more. What, I and think Lasalina. she'd surprise
0: us. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's the perfect way of putting it. <laughs> I think she'd be surprised, but I think she wouldn't be per clutchy. Yeah. And I think she'd be, I think she'd rise to the occasion a bit more than people would give her credit for. I really do.
1: Yeah, and, like, you know, she does have that kind of natural political ability that,
0: yes. like,
1: that could have been really nurtured in that situation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. I mm-hmm.
1: don't uh, uh, Counterfactuals are
0: weird sometimes. <laughs> oh, Julia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anonymous said, I have a question for the Inbox Hour. You do? There is cur- There is currently a discussion on Westeros.org. I got on why <laughs> Martin added incest to his stories. Some posters argue that he's telling a cautionary tale and wants to condemn it, while others are saying he just added it because it makes the story more complex and historically accurate. This discussion made me wonder why he did add incest into the story, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, I, mean, well, I mean, should that, we talk but, about, like... <laughs> the historical accuracy? I don't want
1: to miss the point of the ask and just focus on the whole historical accuracy thing.
0: Well, can we just trash the historical <laughs> accuracy the part first, then? Because, like, we're not reading a fucking history book here. And, like, do a, we think
1: that, like, I mean, like, brother-sister incest was more common historically than it is now?
0: I don't, th- like, I don't think there's any evidence for
1: that. Yeah, I mean, like, the definition of incest has kind of changed. So, like, you know, in the past, like, first cousin and, like, you know, uh, uncle-niece kind of marriages were possible, but they were usually like uncle niece definitely were usually seen as something like you know something that only certain kinds of people did and uh-huh. not like always desirable
0: yeah and usually it was like the upper class that was doing the show yeah. wasn't it yeah um and then like yeah, first cousin marriage i mean like dudes, that's legal in yeah. like, 20 states something like that yeah and but, like that's
1: that's something that wouldn't have been considered incestuous necessarily which like these days a lot of people would
0: yeah yeah Second cousins isn't really there's like no laws against that anywhere yeah. from what I know so yeah you're right the definitions change but h- history like I mean the the book is set you know 300 years after Egon the Conqueror landed in Westeros So, yeah. no Martin, history, didn't, right, see. Martin didn't Martin ad- didn't add add cess to be historically accurate
1: complex maybe I don't know just like um you know like as somebody who dabbles in writing fiction like sometimes you just get an idea and you're like yeah I'm doing that. You're not quite sure why? Like.
0: I mean, I don't think you need to. Yeah. Like, a, a cautionary tale. Like, you think that tale, you can do something I, interesting with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think it needs to be a cautionary tale because. I mean, he's like,
1: definitely not endorsing incest or, you know. No. Saying that, like, I, you know, you should root for this true love or anything like that.
0: I think it is just maybe that it brings up these tensions that it otherwise wouldn't
1: mm.
0: it brings up a I like, reason for illegitimacy that's pretty damn sorted yeah i
1: mean yeah it's sorted yeah but i'm just thinking about like how like cersei and jamie and like the fact that they're twins and the fact that cersei especially sees jamie as like an extension projection of herself but like a male projection of herself right right and
0: like, and he see, and then he thinks, if I was a woman, I'd be, I'd be Cersei. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But like, I, I don't know that that whole like kind of projection thing isn't quite as like incredibly overwhelmingly powerful the way it is for Cersei. I don't think.
0: But like, why have it be a common practice for Targs, You know.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. Um, I didn't even consider that actually. Because
0: um, I- like, I think it works for J- Jamie and Cersei for like what their mm-hmm. relationship is and what they do, but.
1: But I mean, like when you have. When you have the kind of, like, you know, world building they have around the Targs, it does kind of make sense that they would be, like, all incesty with, like, you know, you have this kind of magic that's very connected to, like, a bloodline and the idea that, like, you have to maintain the purity of this bloodline because of that magic. And, like, you know, that kind of makes I think he included sense. it because
0: he thought there was, yeah, I think he included it because he thought there was something interesting to explore. Yeah. By including it. And I don't think he's wrong about that either. And if anything else, it just at least plays into the gray morality of everything. Yeah, like the way Not that, a, like, you like...
1: know, the Targaryen incest is accepted, like, at least to a certain extent, by the West Rosie, even though it's so contrary to all their own traditions and things mm-hmm. like that. Like, that definitely plays into certain things. And, like, you know, his commentary on the feudal system
0: and things like that. But... And and I think one of the best things about A Song of Ice and Fire is that there is gray morality without it being this, like, just nothing matters nihilism. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was a messy element, and he's a writer that likes messiness. Yeah, but like I don't know.
1: I suspect that like it just occurred to him one day, like probably in the bathtub or something, just like, ah, oh, I can have like Jamie and Cersei have like kids and be fucking, and then just like kind of like lashed onto that idea and just went with it. <laughs> I, I
0: kind of feel like the, I I kind of feel like it, yeah, the first idea he probably had was how to make like. That the kids would be, that Robert's kids would be illegitimate. Yeah. I think that's like what he was trying to do. And he worked backwards if I had to guess. Yeah. That's what makes sense to me. Um But no, definitely, definitely for the history, <laughs> for the hi- historical accuracy. Absolutely. All right. Um, My turn? Yep.
1: Anonymous said, for you can tell which ones are mine and which ones are yours, because I didn't bother to do anything. Um, <laughs> Anonymous said, for the UBS pod, uh, podcast inbox ASCII thingy, How do you think women's (laughs) roles in the Song of Ice and Fire should have been written to be representative of a medieval setting? Like, where are the women at court? Where are the arts institutions for queens to give patronage to? Where is the Eleanor of Aquitaine to be regent whilst her son goes off to war? Why did none of the kingdoms apart from the Reach have a queen regnant? Um, Does the hand position rob women who are queens of authority?
0: Well, should? Should have been written? I mean... Yeah.
1: To be representative of a medieval setting. I mean, like... That's, like it, it is a medieval like, you know, that's not a stupid comparison in it by any means, but like no, no, people no, definitely but, take like, it too far. I, we would we would literally well, just talking about I, that.
0: I, I guess it's just like what what responsibility does Martin have to be portraying that to the fullest of its ability? Yeah. I I agree. There's a lot of parts of the court he could be fleshing out more, particularly where women are concerned. Yeah, I mean,
1: there's definitely, like, historically, though, the whole stuff about, like, you know, the patronage and stuff like that. Like, you have a lot of that with the targ, like with uh, Good Queen Alison,
0: for example. He does well with the Tyrrells, I think in this department mm-hmm. and their function yeah. and how Marge, is, Marge is like putting on this performance of idealized maidenhood. Yeah. Like we talk about a and lot. And like with the, the, um, just the Edelore of Aquitaine to be regent, like that's exactly
1: what Cersei is doing actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And that while her son is off to war, while her son is in his minority, but that, that was a very common way that women were able to exercise power. Um,
0: yeah. And why did none of the other kingdoms have a queen regnant? Um, I mean, that's just like the political arrangement at the moment, but... yeah. I mean,
1: a lot of the kingdoms seem to have had some kind of like Salic esque kind of thing going on. Um, and like you know, the Iron Throne had like kind of like a de facto Salic succession, even though there was never really, yeah. yeah, just kind of always turned out that that like you know, the women who were possibly in line for the throne just kept being overlooked. Um, and you know, Westeros almost had a queen regnant, did have a queen regnant, but not really. Um, but, um the there is a lack of women like in a feast for crows you know cersei has like two kind of women who are serving her and like like where are all her companions where are all like you know the women in her orbit like where's where are all the men in her orbit you know like who's who's like you know the who's the like you know master of her bedchamber and all that stuff like you know um, but but you do have some of that with like you know Tana who who kind of tries to fill all those roles as like you know the women who are kind of socially and politically around the queen in the court.
0: I feel like a big problem was that when he wrote a Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. I don't think he really knew what he was doing <laughs> with a lot of this because like Sansa running around is just ridiculous. Yeah. Basically, like the way the Stark. I mean, I I know that Ned was like Ned. Yes. But the freedom they recorded was ridiculous. Like just objectively ridiculous and i feel like he's been doing better filling things in more and more about the court mm-hmm. but the way that he established it just wasn't very full to begin with and it's not shocking that women's roles got shafted there inherently yeah you know so it's maybe a disappointing element i'd certainly li- i like to see women in more roles just in general How how they especially in this kind of a patriarchy i think it's fascinating how women get by basically yeah
1: I mean, yeah, you're right about like Marge kind of like coming in and taking a lot of these roles. I mean, there there are things, like all of yeah, them? like there there are ways in like like you know Cersei is so disdainful about like more feminine, softer kind of ways of exercising power that you can kind of explain away why she doesn't have more companions, why she's not doing like art patronage and things like that. But it is it is weird, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's weird. We'll agree with you on that. Um As her like, but at the same time, Martin has a story to tell mm-hmm. that's not. About recreating history. Exactly. So Alright. Um Our next question that we got is actually <laughs> just for me, and I was gonna not answer it on here, but it said for the podcast specifically, so I filmed that. But Anonymous asks for the podcast, not book related, but I have to know, Kylie, what program do you use to lower your voice for all your amazing songs? Um <laughs> I don't my voice is very low and I can sing very low. I mean, you have a really good Elliot voice. I don't know. In my Elliot voice? Yeah. Gretchen sang Elliot. I sang Roland. Oh, you Uh. (laughs) sang... For years I pursued her, then dismissed my pain. I thought I was done with her. No, um, I mean... There's times that, like, when I hit the lower, lower notes, like, uh-huh. I have to amplify it with audacity, so I'll, I'll make it louder, cause, like, going, you know, tonight, tonight, like, it, that, it's hard to hit that range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I was doing my John in the middle of Ballad of Booth, when it was like, oh, the, the Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 97% critic rating. <laughs> I think I might have lowered, like, the talking a little bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, no, that's just me, like, Smots, come
1: Say by That's... all means, I'd be shot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, when I, I just... sing
1: that song now, it's a weird mixture of, like, the original version and the Jon <laughs> Snow version. Yeah. It's like when yeah. I try kind to of sing American Pie, the saga begins, kind of starts creeping in there.
0: Yes, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm I'm a contra alto. I think Julia is, too. She yeah. has a low voice. I'm so, Julia, sing, sing something loud for us. What should they sing? I don't it's know. over, isn't it?
1: Isn't it? Isn't it over?
0: Isn't that sexy? <laughs> um, I mean, I, we can both sing high. I imagine too. It's just not as pleasant, you mm-hmm. know. It's like I, well, you've probably heard me do it because remember I did the uh, shock, shock deaths with no context and it's sexist and to the, the empty degree. Why do critics give? No, no, that one I had to sing. That, that was why do critics give this show a past all right we're done we're done the, the, the answer is nothing i just have a very husky voice <laughs> deal with it
1: all right um oh an interesting one okay anonymous said for the ask- don't,
0: don't be rude to the last ask <laughs> no i'm
1: just like this one is oh okay this is actually something we can discuss and have thoughts about It's specific to our interests, I think. Yes. For the Ask podcast, do you think the seven are viewed slightly differently in Dorne, especially the maiden and the mother? Maybe the maiden is connected with water and fertility of the land, as well as her normal meanings. The maiden is less about virginity and maybe just more about youth and innocence and that part of life being important. Um, The maiden is, like, associated with romantic love, kind of generally, as well. Mm -hmm. And, like, the Westerosi have, like, a very screwed up notion, like of romantic love and like they tie it in with virginity, it's weird. But yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh <sighs> I would I would guess yes. Mm. I would guess I honestly I would guess the seven is a little bit different.
1: Well the um, relationship kind of like between the church and the state, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, seems to be a little more like distant almost in Dorne than it is. Well, we don't have a a lot of data on this. Like, there's this one reminiscence that Aryan has about, like, Dorn and the Maester trolling a Septon. But, like, other than that, there's really not much to go on. But, like, the fact that there's not much to go on, you know, there's no Septons hanging around or anything like that. Like, there doesn't Uh seem to be the same system of, like, you know, Septa's educating young girls and things like
0: that. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, in your fic, which obviously is not canon, but it's like this is where we put our theories into that. You pretty much have everyone getting, like, educated at the water gardens at a certain yeah. age, right?
1: Well, not even just, like, at the water, but, like, um, like there's not a, as sharp a division between male and female
0: education. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think we've talked about this before yeah. in um, Dornish head era, because, like, women, especially women who are just as likely to be in, coming into, you know, a position of power mm-hmm. as men, so they need a very specific education that other women, like, you know, Sansa and Arya maybe didn't need, right? Yeah.
1: But there's definitely like you know aspects of education that women get and men don't get, and vice versa, right? But like, um, mm-hmm. like they don't tend to teach little boys how to sew, for example. But like, I don't, we're talking about the faith, um, like <laughs> and things like, like the fact that the High Septon could like go tell Princess Maria that she should bend the knee to Aegon, and she can tell him to fuck off without any kind of like you know domestic implications. It seems.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, so for that reason, I just imagine that I can't see them taking the seven as, like, literally as they're maybe taken elsewhere in Westeros.
1: Yeah, and, like, um, this is also kind of without any real data to back it up, but, like, I imagine the way that they practice the faith is slightly different. Like, we don't really have any information about, like, regional variation within, like, religious practice in Westeros. Like, there doesn't seem to be much,
0: and Westeros is too huge for that yeah. not to exist. Like, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, but like you can, you can theorize, you can kind of speculate wildly with your hands flapping, basically, that uh, there was some kind of homogenization of practice, like after Aegon's conquest, and like the. the, the the way that, like you know, the the single crown was reun- uh, associated with the faith in a very particular way. Like you know, the the High Septon was blessed the king in a very particular way as King of Westeros, and maybe that had some kind of homogenizing influence on the faith throughout the entire realm, and like that kind of consolidated the High Septon's control over the se- over the faith. You know, especially once the this High Septon moved to King's Landing and things like that, mm-hmm. Um stuff that wouldn't have affected Dorne as much. Yeah. So. I- there there might there's possibly, you know, some kind of variation in the way the faith is practiced, like you know, like kind of the day to day ceremonies and things like that, like maybe the like catechism even. There's really no way I, to I,
0: I was just thinking that. I I would imagine that if the rest of Westeros thinks that the Eucharist is literally the body, Dorne does only thinks it's symbolically the body.
1: Yeah. They're you they're know, Lutheran that and not stuff. Catholic or something. Mm.
0: Right, right. That's 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 kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. But again, this is all very speculative. Mm. We really can't we have no data to to back any of this up.
1: I know I like to like think of that like, you know, if um the faith in Westeros has like um like a uh Latin church kind of vibe, the faith in um the faith in Dorne has a more kind of like Eastern Byzantine Orthodox kind of vibe, not only mm. like aesthetically, because like they're into more that kind of like, you know, Southern Mediterranean architecture and things like that, it's but right. more like the way that, um you know, the the Orthodox Church uh, views like just Christology and original sin and things like that, I think would, uh, kind of more uh, is in line with the way that the Dornish would approach things. But of course, like, this is just rampant speculation. These are the things we enjoy speculating
0: about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah. Thank you for asking us about Dornan, Anon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ask us about Dorn and we will talk.
0: The, the next question I want to include, because Machiavellian, Machiavellian fictionist submitted to us very kindly, and I'll read it quickly, but, like, I know we're not going to be able to answer it. Mm-hmm. So it's just, do you think Martin is repeating the same themes he explored in his previous stories, the Shaqeen and the Grisha from A Song for Laia, as well as the Jainsha and their pyramids from The Seven Never Kill Men, are a lot like The Children of the Forest and the Weirwoods, Annalyn from The House of Worm, is an obvious prototype for Jamie, the grounds from the same story that could be analogous to the others, yada yada. Um, Julia, have you read any of these?
1: I read a review of A Song for Laya that we had on the site a couple weeks
0: ago. (laughs) Same. yep, yeah. that's my... It was that's really the good. my uh,
1: The guy has a... He likes certain names, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> like Liana. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know why I haven't read anything else by Barton now that I think about it. Yeah,
1: really. We, we should probably read some things from him.
0: Why the hell haven't we?
1: Um... You know, I think part of me is afraid of getting insight into where the story will go in case I don't like it.
0: <laughs> to be perfectly uh, honest, I don't know. I mean, he's such a like. Oh, I just thought of this twist today. Yeah, like I don't think I don't think you can. But even that too review much. of
1: a song for Laya, like, um, I like Priscilla's kind of thesis in her review of a song for Laya was like arguing against this idea that Martin has a fundamentally pessimistic view of human nature. And that gave me some comfort.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, he definitely, I'd say it's pretty obvious he doesn't with like the kinds of things that are endorsed by Ice, a song of ice and fire Mm -hmm. rather than, I mean, the only reason, honestly, people think that he's like pessimistic is because of the show. I swear.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, no, it's like, it reminds me of Sensei in the way that like really bad shit can happen to people in these books, but it, it does fundamentally have an optimistic tone. And just like just like a tone of just like you know like keeping on keeping on for black oh like, no but just like
0: I know, you know I know you I know. know like
1: bad shit happens but you find a way to deal with it you know yeah and there's always like as long as you're alive like like that was like like even like in you know some of the early chapters in a Game of Thrones when Jamie and Tyrion are talking about like you know if I were a cripple I'd want you know I would want to be dead I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to live like that and. You know, like and Brand's arc is all about kind of like that too. Like he, you're in the situation where you think you know there's no hope and life isn't worth living, but you like you decide that it is,
0: right? Right, and like you know, with with answering this question, is mm-hmm. he repeating the same themes? Maybe, but yeah. I think it's more possible that he's not a different guy. Like he has yeah. the same guiding motivations and and outlook. I mean, it's possible that like you know,
1: as an artist, he has you know like themes and you know. Themes that have fascinated him and he's been wanting to explore in different points of his life. And that just makes
0: sense. Well, I mean, I have yet to write a fanfic that doesn't include daddy issues. Exactly. Like It's just, of course, he's got little things that are going to stick in his mind. Mm -hmm. And maybe character archetypes that he likes. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. This is actually making me really want to read something. Mm -hmm. Something. Yep. (laughs) I'll look into that. Um, I'll read the next one because that was short. Daenerys the Dreamer said to uh, my inbox for the inbox hour, what is your ideal A Song of Ice and Fire adaptation like? What medium would it be? Film, theater, radio, uh, etc. What tone would it have? What would you cut, if anything? Any costume ideas? Fan casts? Basically, all your thoughts about the perfect A Song of Ice and Fire adaptation. I mean, Jesus.
1: if we're talking about an ideal world where money is no object, like casting issues aren't an object, you know, like just... Like casting yeah. issues I mean you don't have to like you know nobody's going to spontaneously get pregnant or like decide to quit or get hit
0: by a bus. It's just like everything's perfect. Or like your child actors won't age. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, that, that's that's the main sticking point. Um,
1: um, like you know the how the 1995 BBC version is just a dramatic reading of the book.
0: Like you yeah. know that's what I want. Mini, definitely mini series
1: TV mm-hmm. medium, but if like the way the chapters sense. are structured makes like a like an actual straight adaptation difficult hmm mm-hmm. but um yeah it's true just all book dialogue is basically all, all dialogue is basically book dialogue in my ideal adaptation that's for sure <laughs> um we cut nothing it, yeah well care. like yeah well it, it could be like you know as long as fuck so we would cut nothing i mean obviously this would never ever happen and this is just
0: no this is impossible there's too yeah. many constraints in in the world of realism i think you would have actually said this before that maybe some kind of like studio mirror-esque drawings, like Legend of Korra had, like that kind of show, just ongoing. Like, there's a lot of potential in animation for a really good adaptation. There is. And all the Dornish should have Welsh accents. And then it doesn't matter if one of your voice actors gets pregnant, because she can still talk. Yeah. so Yeah, all the Dornish have to have Welsh accents, absolutely. Yeah, they can can be brown, but they have to have Welsh accents. (laughs) But I don't know, now I kind of want to see a theater version, like a musical theater version of A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean,
1: there can be like a musical theater version of like one of the like stories in the history of
0: restaurants, you know, to just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can't, this. this. What, about, what about an ongoing, like, podcast saga? I don't know. Um, it would just be Roy Trees, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but,
1: like, I don't know, the, the thing I want to say about, like, adaptations basically is that, like, works are written in a particular medium, usually for a reason, you know?
0: That's a good point. And um, I know
1: adaptations are a thing, and there are so many adaptations that I do enjoy and are really, really good, but like...
0: Uh. Look, I'm all for a vid- visual adaptation if it can follow the seven maxims of adaptation that mm-hmm. Julia has so graciously outlined for us by David O. Selznick. Yeah. And, and that's really what it comes down to. Whatever medium this would be, just make A Song of Ice and Fire explore the same themes and have the same meaning. That's what it comes down to. So, like, of course, in our perfect world, everything would be exactly as the books, but just, like, we'd see it. It's just, that's not realistic. So, in light of that, if if we could just have one that hits the points on the head.
1: Yeah. And I would just, at this point, I just, I wish they would all leave it alone, you know?
0: just Or we can go with our um, Tatia Masla- Tatiana maslani Plays Everyone <laughs> yeah. adaptation.
1: That, that would probably work a lot better than most of the other options. Exactly.
0: Alright, you want to read the next?
1: Oh, okay. Anonymous said to you, uh, hey, for the Song of Ice Fire podcast thingy, could you tell your opinion of the dwarf's penny theory, penny being Tyrion's daughter? Absolutely love you both! Exclamation point. Oh, thank love you for you that. Um, have you heard of the theory? I don't, I've never heard of it. I was
0: hoping you could fill me in on it.
1: I mean, like, it's penny being Tyrion's daughter.
0: First it's of all. Not- Impossible! Wait, Ew, wait no. Because how old she, is she? Kind of,
1: she's kind of like has the hots for him.
0: She's like nineteen or twenty, apparently, and he's twenty-eight. That would okay. Like seven?
1: Yeah. No, like she's like seventeen. Or... This is still like like she's a grown-up, but she's not. Yeah,
0: I know, but I'm trying to say like he'd be eleven when he had her. I mean, I mean, it's over did something similar. Ober, okay, yeah, but I I just <laughs> think it's a it's a little far-fetched. And yeah, it feels really yeah.
1: For I me. I definitely don't think this is a thing, but <laughs> no. I am not I'd a proponent really of this I'd be really surprised story. if
0: he. Also, if he she went kind of has direction. the hots
1: for him, so.
0: Yeah, like that would just. What would that do? I yeah. uh, would that just be. That would just make me sad. But uh, we also haven't read the theory at all, so maybe there's really convincing evidence. Yeah. Um, Oh God, this next one is. <laughs> don't make fun anonymous. of our anon. <laughs> Sorry, this next one is. I don't think anon was meaning this seriously. Is Dorn an allegory? Is hashtag Dorn and this hashtag Dorn an allegory for a hashtag allegory for Brexit. Brexit? Hashtag UBS asks.
1: How can it be an no? allegory if it was written before Brexit happened?
0: Well, does that mean Brexit's an allegory for Twitter? <laughs> do, you,
1: do you know what allegory means all? <laughs> we can't just make fun of our nuts. We can totally make fun of our nuts. I mean... We don't need friends.
0: And Dorn is not... Like, I kind of think this is a little backwards, because Dorn isn't driven by any sort of, like, xenophobic... Back- like, they're, it's basically their right to self-determination. Yeah, I mean... a whole I, people, lot different than what... People
1: miss that technical, like... You know, like, the Dornish are victims of racism. Yeah. And they're definitely, like, the marginalized group (laughs) in this relationship. Um, I think people miss that sometimes.
0: And and what happened with Brexit, obviously not everyone voting for it was prioritizing racism, but we do know that that was a big driving force. Like, that's just... It just was. So it's kind of not an allegory or... (laughs) Really comparable, I think is what I'm trying to say.
1: I mean, like, Westeros is the European Union, and Dorne is the UK in this analogy? I don't understand. Uh, But they didn't...
0: Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't. Okay, just go
1: on. (laughs) (laughs) Just move on. Okay, uh... Too dope to mope? Oh, it took me a while to parse. Okay, too dope to mope said, Hiya, for the UBS, uh, could you please discuss Brienne's future role in the series? I've seen too many theories suggesting that she'll sacrifice herself to Jamie. I get how thematically it could work, but I really don't think it should. Brienne has been giving so many short sticks. She deserves better than exchanging her life for Jamie Lannister's.
0: Well, we just answered the one about, like, what's gonna happen with Sternheart, and I think yeah. we both said I I don't see, like, her Killing Jamie. Yeah. Do you see her dying for him?
1: She kind of already had the opportunity to do that and she didn't take it.
0: That's true. She kind of chose well, she, she
1: chose Pod and uh what's his face? Hyle Hunt over him, right? Kind of Yeah,
0: I mean because she chose it for them specifically. Mm-hmm. Um God, she's really been through the ringer. I yeah. just want nice things for her. I don't know. I want we, her to inherit
1: have... Tarth and just like be there. We don't have any more weirdness.
0: We don't have any more capacity to answer this than when we answered the other one.
1: But, yeah Um I mean, I definitely don't want her to exchange her life for Jamie Lannister's.
0: I could see her wanting to in a certain context.
1: Yeah, well, she's kind of
0: in love with him. But I would be disappointed if that was her end. Mm-hmm. I would. Yeah, so would I.
1: If he died for her, that would be more thematically significant, I think.
0: In Okay. For the inbox hour, who gave the Orient a kill, order to kill Tyrion in A Clash of Kings?
1: Cersei. Have we answered this before? It was Cersei. Okay. Okay, moving on. What'd you say? It was Let Moving on.
0: Okay. Uh, so anonymous says, "Nope, I read this one too." What
1: did you do? I pasted stuff in twice. Ah, Fuck off! God, you're so competent, Kylie. I hate me. Should fire you, but like only in six months after you do something with a suspicious timing.
0: Oh, I get it. It's topical. It worked. It's topical. <laughs> okay. Anonymous said, if you've got some time on the podcast, I'd love your thoughts on what role you think Karth plays in Danny's storyline. I can't for the life of me figure out what her takeaway from her clash arc is. Is Karth, she tries to move forward towards her goal and finds herself blocked by a variety of institutions? It ends with a mythic revelation, but the same plot is repeated more effectively in dance. It's also unclear what her character gets from Karth. She couldn't get elsewhere. Thoughts? Um. There's quite. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's like all
1: of her prophecy, magical destiny stuff um I know I think it's supposed to be about like you know a realization that it's not gonna be that easy. I don't have a satisfying answer for this, I don't think
0: what could what th- what wouldn't she have faced otherwise um I mean, this was the first place that she got the real feedback for people like not just giving her shit. I mean it's not like she's been given shit her whole life or anything like that, yeah, but. I guess now that she's got the dragons, because, I mean, they're not ready to start conquering. Mm -hmm. It's a little wheel-spinning-y, kind of. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, situated in her full character development, it's, like, a very logical step for what she goes through, you know? Yeah. But it is a little bit of, like, that semester she spent abroad, kind of, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is right about, like, the whole thing about, like, you know... Her having a goal and institutions getting in her way, and that kind of seems to be, like, the theme of her arc in general. Just, like, you know, trying to change something, but then you come up against entrenched institutions, entrenched prejudices.
0: Um, and that is done more effectively in dance, yeah, you're right. Sure. But also also keep in mind, when Clash was written, dance was not going to exist in the form it was, right? Yeah. There was going to be the, the gap. So that's something to consider. I don't... I don't know exactly. I think he needed her in a holding pattern. Yeah, and he needed bit.
1: he needed her to have those mythical processes.
0: Yeah, so it was a little. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think your criticism of it being wheel spinning is justified, but I do like there are parts of that arc that were very effective. Like even yeah. even if it's just like you know prose prose prize for the house of um, house of the Undying.
0: Yeah, and, uh, in general, it's just, like, you can see her developing as a leader in that, too. So it's, it's nice to include, but, yeah, I think we agree. Yeah. Alright.
1: Is it my turn? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, right once in
0: water. Uh, I think it's, like, writ in water, but the I is spelled with a one.
1: Okay, writ in water said, Hey, for the inbox error, I was wondering what you guys thought about the significance of Jamie and Brienne's feelings for each other. Uh... Have on their plotline, and if you think there is a parallel between Cersei and Brienne outside of Jamie's plotline, uh, P.S. Do you miss all my asks about when the podcast would be up? <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Um, is there a significance uh, between Cersei and Brienne outside of Jamie's plotline, or a parallel between Cersei and Brienne?
0: And- uh, well, well f- for, first, is there a significance about Jamie and Brienne's feelings for each other? Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're like in love.
0: <laughs> we, talk, we talked about this in the Jamie Brienne, although we got. Uh, a little bit of criticism because we said it was more like a bromance, but yeah. what we were trying to say is that we didn't know that it was on a romantic trajectory. We, but they definitely have romantic feelings yeah. for each other. One hundred percent, they're in love. Yeah. Um. The significance for each other is that it's both. They're both moving towards. They're converging, basically. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, just like, Jamie's getting more idealistic and Brienne's getting more horrified. So they're <laughs> diverging. No, because they started out at opposite ends. I see. Okay. Well, not that Brienne was ever, like, idealistic, idealistic, but she was, you know, I think she had a little more hope. Yeah. But they're kind of, like, meeting in the middle right now. So I think their feelings for each other is definitely spurring. And and they both think about each other so much with, like, how they should act, mm-hmm. too, and all that. It's a little... I
1: don't, the parallel between Cersei and Brienne outside of Jamie's plot, like, the parallel is about Jamie. you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And, well, Jamie's the one drawing that parallel exactly. a lot. But, like... Sorry, is something going on in the background? No. Okay, I'm hearing, like, a lot of screaming.
1: He's singing. <laughs> yeah, he's singing. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. That was, like, it sounded like he was dying. No, he's singing. Just... Okay. Um. No, I mean, I mean, I think if, if we remove it, Jamie, from the equation, the parallels you would have to draw, or really the way you would have to look at them together, would be their conception of womanhood, right? And how they navigate the Jamie's world. Jamie's conception
1: think... of womanhood.
0: And I think we talked about them as foils in the Cersei podcast. I fully... Well, yeah, Cersei's a foil with everybody. (laughs) Exactly. She is. No, it it doesn't even... You don't even need Jamie to contextualize. It's just their approach to things. But, Mm. you know, honestly, without Jamie as that factor, parallels? I don't know about parallels between them.
1: Yeah. Well, they don't mean anything to each other.
0: No, they don't. So it's a little difficult to say, but we can talk about, like, you know, there's Cersei's internalized misogyny versus Brienne's, like almost mm. dysphoria in some ways. And it's and there's a there's a sort of parallel-ish. This is a stretch where they both feel a little bit like they're in the wrong body-ish.
1: Yeah, well, but like it's kind of like like positive and negative dysphoria, I suppose you can say.
0: Well, because Cersei's is Cersei's is just like I'm not stupid therefore I shouldn't be a woman. Yeah. It's just based in misogyny and whereas Transmore is, more, is like, more like
1: like I don't conform to this like narrow conception of womanhood,
0: mm-hmm. and that makes me sad. And like it yeah. sounds specific
1: the way I said it, but you know that that no, gives but th- me that's what of, it like, is.
0: And, and I say I think that that's the most we're going to be able to milk out of that relationship. They they have to make sense. They they have to be contextualized by Jamie to some degree, as much yeah. as is that anti feminist of us to say? I think it's just the the situation. I mean, I
1: think that's just like the story that's being told. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um. Oh.
0: Yeah. Okay yeah uh okay anonymous said hello first of all can i just say how much i've enjoyed your podcast you guys are an island of sanity in a world gone got mad Ah, uh, thank you we sometimes i don't know about the sanity part but we are definitely an island <laughs> so we'll take it <laughs> This question may be better suited to you if either of you do another theory podcast, but I was wondering if, as Dorn fans, you had any theory on the letter Princess Daria gave Aegon to end the First Dornish War.
1: Oh, they totally had Radies rocked up in the basement of Hellhold when you we were doing terrible things to her. 100%.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she, that's, like, wrote I, her
1: bro a letter is just like, yeah, I want to die. <laughs> yep. Not exactly. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's something uh, Julia and I have talked about this yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's 100% our theory. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, those Dornish, aren't they? Just lovable scamps.
1: <laughs> well, you know, they were actively oppressing them.
0: Yeah, they were. <laughs> I mean, it's, it doesn't make it. It's complicated. Yeah. It's
1: complicated. There's like wacky wills in that war, too. Just, yeah. Read the next one. Yeah, paper. don't don't invade Dorn if you value your safety, is my advice. All
0: right, we got another Dorn ask.
1: Okay. Uh, Donovan said, not sure if this is suitable for the inbox podcast, but what do you think Mario Martel's life was like before Rainies rocked up? She seemed quite, to be quite formidable and she ruled for a very long time. Argilex, the guy from the Stormlands. Argilex. Argilex seemed to know her and had dealings with her. Uh, she was fearless in the face of Rainies. Do you think she's held up as one of the great Martels? Oh, for sure. She's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: She would have, I think she would have been remembered as like, you know, one of the, Badasses, even without Rainey's. Um
0: Oh, one hundred percent. I mean she hundred percent cold Martell, too. Oh yeah, for not sure. Even, I mean not even a question. Like
1: we're told that she was she was eighty when Rainies showed up and she'd already been ruling for sixty years. So she was twenty when she ascended to the throne or whatever you call it. Um
0: it was probably a very stable time too, from what we can tell. Yeah,
1: but there like there seemed to have been like several wars. Like with the Stormlands and things like that. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. No, I mean like in terms of uh, like Dornish unity, mm. fealty, that kind of. Yeah, thing.
1: For, well, because they had those external enemies to deal with, that probably helped mm-hmm. a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And like you know, she had like she had a very secure line of succession as well.
0: Yeah, she's just their terrifying wartime princess. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: She throws <laughs> people out of windows.
0: No, she is fucking crazy. But yeah, yeah she definitely had. Yeah, definitely, definitely formidable. Mm-hmm.
1: Like even even without.
0: Well, and I mean the way that she treated Rainis was rather indicative of how she was ruling, right? Yeah.
1: So. It's just kind of like, yeah. no, like like you get like, like, but the whole kind of like like Fabian tactics that they used, kind of even with like Rainis, just like she was she was flying through Dorne in, like, and like all these castles and there like, was nobody there. It's just like you know, it's you kind of get get the feeling that like this is not a new thing for them. Like this is an established pattern of how mm-hmm. they operate mm-hmm. they just kind of let the desert kill everybody <laughs> right um exactly so yeah yeah she she's pretty awesome
0: so we actually only have one more or it's two more but they go together uh asks that relate to Dorn, and then that was it for this round of of inbox stuff really so, Oh, are, are, yeah these
1: all show stuff
0: uh, no, the stuff below is, like, shit that, um, I, I I bolded a few that we could talk about, but it's, like, ones that we got that we never got to last time. Okay. But, yeah, I mean...
1: Oh, do we even have to talk about this? Ugh.
0: Yeah, well, okay, so I'm gonna read two asks back-to-back, they're both anonymous. Okay. One one said, as a fellow unabashed book snob, I'd like to hear your opinions on Arian's uh, Winds of Winter storyline... Will she really want to end up wed to Aegon? Will she believe he is the actual Aegon? And did Doran's plans really only come together in a marriage? And then the one we get after that was, how annoying is it that people talk about Aegon and Arian marrying like it's a forgotten conclusion?
1: Very? It's very annoying? Very
0: annoying. Very annoying, Anon.
1: (laughs) No, it's just, it's not even that, um, like, I don't think it's, an unreasonable speculation. It's just that the way that people are so certain about it really annoys me. And this isn't the only thing that people seem so certain about that I think are is completely not that certain that just people talk about like it's a foregone conclusion, but it's the one that annoys me most because, you know, I have emotion like Ariana. I have emotional well, attachments. <laughs> but <laughs>
0: And there's, like, a lot of pieces of it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of assumptions that people have to make, which, I mean, th- before Arian's Winds of Winter-, Winter sample chapters were coming out, mm-hmm. like, I guess I kind of understand some of these assumptions. No, but,
1: but like, seems- the, these people who are making these assumptions seem to think that those two cha- sample chapters are, like, on their side.
0: Well, and that's hilarious to me, because, like, if there was one theme of those sample chapters, mm-hmm. and this gets more to the, the first question, it's that Ariane was really... Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, spoilers. <laughs> um, it's, it's that Arian was really, really, really doubtful this was Aegon. Mm-hmm. Like, her her skepticism was pretty much a the theme of the chapter, and she's still going forward with it because she's like, well, we're probably not going to have a choice anyway, so let's just go along.
1: Yeah, but how like, how far is she, is she willing to take that?
0: I don't know, and it's not like Julia and I can't think of a situation in which Arianne would decide, you know what, for the good of Dorne, perhaps I should marry Aegon and this would help our cause. Yeah. We definitely can think of that, but why is this, like, a certainty? It's like saying Sansa marrying Harry is going to be a certainty. And no one seems to think that's a certainty. Don't they? No. <laughs> People are like, oh, she'll end up marrying Aegon. <laughs> People have the craziest Sansa theories. Yeah, but, um, I don't know, like, part. like,
1: part of me doesn't, eat, like, I don't like talking about this because I don't like kind of adding kind of fuel to this, I suppose. And it makes my tummy hurt. It really does.
0: Um we do perfectly admit that we could be wrong. All yeah. we're saying is that there are assumptions that everyone makes for how this and is. And assumptions go
1: down. about Aryan and her character, especially.
0: Yeah, like well, okay, so a lot of this is based around ambitious Aryan. Yeah, right? and
1: Aryan wants to be queen and she's upset that she missed out on that chance.
0: Which is not really how she reflects on that no. at all. She's just like basically her whole point of view, like, her internal monologue, and this is why her sample chapters are so important, she's just, like, so happy her dad loves her. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what's going on in her brain right now. But she's happy that her dad loves her but and she doesn't think that
1: she's worthy of that. Because she's such a fuck-up.
0: Although sometimes she's a little critical of him, more than we thought she might be. Yeah, and
1: the second one, definitely she was just like...
0: Yeah, because she's like, maybe this plan is not that... Yeah, like, maybe like, my dad's not infallible. Maybe my
1: dad set my brother off to die.
0: <laughs> but yeah, actually actually Julia wrote a really good piece on this. This was um five unfounded assumptions that Arian and Aegon, like marriage proponents, make. And the first one is that Ariane regrets that she missed out on being queen, and it's like, what does
1: she? Yeah. I mean what she wanted was to be Princess of Dorne, and that's what she has now.
0: Yeah, and like the whole thing when she's asking Damon about, like, tell me what Viserys was like. Mm-hmm she's not really thinking about Viserys. She was kind of equating herself to Daenerys and, like, how did Danny let any of this happen? Yeah. Like,
1: she has, like, Martell guilt about Quentin.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So her feeling, And she knows her feelings about her brother. Like, she's not happy with them. So it's just, like, that's one assumption. Another assumption is that, like... And
1: that people seem to misunderstand her feelings about Quentin, too.
0: Yeah. Basically, Quentin was just the person she misplaced her anger with her dad on. Yeah. We're not saying her treatment is good or even no. like, oh, just excuse it. Just like you don't need to excuse her treatment of uh Eris. Yeah. But like yeah. But look, she's not we she's can... not
1: jealous of Quentin because he's going to be king.
0: Like no. that's not
1: really it. Like it's I mean, like there's I know there there is like, you know, a, a little bit of that. Like she has like her tummy hurts at any kind of feeling that she'll be below her brother in some way. Because that but was her anxiety she's... for her entire life.
0: But also, all her she's ever wanted her entire right is her birthright, yeah. which is literally the ruling princess of Doran, which, I'm sorry, is a better position than Queen of Westeros. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. The, I mean, the, if you hopefully... value being in
1: charge of, like, your own destiny, then yeah.
0: And, like, she'd have to, like, go behind Doran's back is, like, mm. how a lot of people would frame this. We see this as, like, if she somehow agreed to a marriage pact, it'd be because she thinks it's what Doran wants. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, like, the other assumptions that are made is that, like, they'll be convinced. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's, that's, like, really kind of, like, what I think is the real, the real wrench in this theory that, like, it assumes that Aryan is going to find the story convincing, which, like, why would she? Right. And she doesn't seem disposed to at all, first of all. And what, what can they possibly do to
0: convince her? It's not even a foregone conclusion. It's not even a conclusion that they would want to marry him. To her, yeah. I mean, they're they're That's quite the they're thing.
1: quite like invested in the idea of him marrying Danny.
0: Yeah. So uh, maybe they're like chipping away at that a little bit. And then the last point, and this is a dumb point. Why would Ariane find him attractive?
1: I mean, they seem to. It seems to be predicated on the idea that she's going to find him attractive and like, or like try to seduce him, right? I mean, she doesn't have right. to find him attractive to think that she could seduce him. I suppose.
0: Like the, the whole way, Julia and I see this come to pass is that she would view this as a political necessity mm-hmm. in line with Dorne's vision. Doran's vision for Dorne and how they're going to enter into this war. But like, what pisses us off too is that the people who just assume this is going to happen just are like, "Oh yeah, she likes she likes pretty boys." What? <laughs> yeah, she loves like little sexist wafers. <laughs> Yeah, like a fucking vanilla wafer who's fucking sixteen years old. She's twenty three, uh-huh. and he yeah, he's sexist. Like Aegon sucks. I don't know why everyone's like, oh, can't Sansa just find a nice guy like Aegon? How-, how is he a what? nice guy? I mean, like, like he's five. he's fine. He's like, yeah, he's
1: he's a six year old frat boy, you know.
0: Yeah, well, but but he knows how to wash his own socks. So yeah. I I just don't buy it. Hey, he,
1: like she sucks at Cyvas, He gets really pissed off when he loses at Cyvas match made in heaven.
0: <laughs> I mean, we ha- have a theory ish that it's equally likely, if not more so, that you know, fucking rampant hormone <laughs> chick that Ariane <laughs> is traveling with her cousin, yeah, like ends up engaging in sexy times with Aegon. <laughs> yeah. It's not too weird that he ha- she has his mom's name, right? No. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only I'm sorry that it got so dorm heavy at the end, but <laughs> this isn't a- this is an unabashed book snobbery episode, after all. Yeah. But yes, it pisses us off, but we don't know what's gonna happen. We could see this happening, but shut up, everyone. Yeah. Just shut the fuck up. Oh, this got very hostile.
1: Alright. Okay, are there any of these leftovers that we want to do? Oh, how many times have we gotten this one? I think this is like, uh, we have several versions of this. Um, um, Anonymous said, hey, I don't know if you've answered this before, but how exactly does the Martell name get passed down generations since Indorn females can be heirs? What did talk Yeah, about we've talked about this several times. I don't understand why this is complicated.
0: No, no, no. We, we got it. We, we answered this Indorn to Shed Canon. now, yeah. I think. This exact one? But maybe. It's just like there's a higher... Would Arianne's
1: future children just take her name instead of her husband? Yes!
0: Yes, they would. I, I, Why is this complicated? Joey, I think we've answered that, and this document needs cleaning. Okay. That's what I think, that's what I think happens. All right. Uh, oh, I have one. Mm-hmm. How do you think uh, Winds of Winter will end, like the big plot points? I don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> Come on, Joey. I don't know. Oh, my God. Uh, Michi Ferenkst said, do you think Quentin deserves a Darwin award? I mean, what part of Let's Go Steal 2 giant fire-breathing fucking monsters sounds like a good idea? He thought he I get had a magical kid, destiny, and he didn't. I get that the kid wanted to be a hero, but there's a heroic and a 100% genre plan. <laughs> um. Poor Quentin, if only you were more genre-savvy. <laughs> yeah, it was... We, we we need to do that Quentin podcast yeah. at some point. Um he he felt duty bound and that he had a magical destiny, like Joey said. And he was like, Hey, I'm in the monomyth, but um
1: nope. Um Hey Julia, smiley face. Say for example, if Aryan had a son called Dorne who eventually became prince, would he be styled as Dorne Amir's Martel second of his name? There is a Morse the second dimension in the world of ice and fire. Uh, but of course that was written from a non daughter's perspective. I know you have you have to speculate, but it seems like you seem like a Dorn expert. Ah, I trust all your head cannons. Um, yeah, I've I've actually wondered about this myself. Um, there seems to be an aversion to repeating names in Dorn among the Martells. Like they have syllables that they like, but not names.
0: Maybe it's a Jewish thing. Maybe. Oh wait, no, that's only if someone's still alive. Yeah. I'm just being weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that
1: the, yeah, they don't seem to like like the idea of numbers after the prince's name. So they just don't give them the same name ever. Uh. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I mean I guess if it happened maybe. Yeah.
1: Like if you ended that up with like, sense. you know, like a nephew or something inheriting that you didn't expect.
0: Yeah. But you're right, they do more play on names than go with the same names. Uh yeah. Let's let's cut this before this becomes all excuse <laughs> me before this becomes all um Dorn all the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, any any, any closing thoughts, it? Anything you want to say that's not book related?
1: Why are we just like... I don't know. I apparently have to talk to my son.
0: You do. You do have to talk to your son. All right. So thank you guys for indulging us for this Inbox Hour. We just <laughs> really wanted to not plan an unabashed book snobbery. Uh We're going to be doing some uh, book heavy episodes mm-hmm. unless we are able to get, like, turtle paste or something onto a podcast theater. Yeah. But Julie and I have to Um, get organized for that. Yeah, we might might do another poll. Yeah, we'll definitely do another poll to see what book content might interest Mm -hmm. you and maybe Stannis won't win.
1: (laughs) Don't even suggest it and then it won't.
0: Hey, but if you like us blathering, literally blathering in this case, about A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones, uh, then you should you know, subscribe to us if you aren't already. If you are, you should tell someone else to subscribe. Or you could drop a review and uh like a nice comment or a mean comment if you think we suck. But that would be rude. So yeah, that's what you should do. Otherwise, you should visit TheFundamentals.com. Julie and I have a Game of Thrones piece that we're thinking of doing that I think we need to. Yeah, I
1: mean, we need to just so I can, like, point people who I rant at.
0: It's, it's <laughs> basically going to be a beginner's guide to everything that's wrong with the show. Like, why is this a bad show 101? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be coming out at some point. But otherwise, we have a lot of content that isn't Game of Thrones, which is also really good and interesting. Yes. So check out thefoundamentals.com. We have book snobbery gear. Me too. If you want an unabashed book snobbery mug, yep. you can get that. Holds salt very well. And yes, our TikTok's about it. So we will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Game of... Oh my god! Kylie, I don't think we can be friends anymore. I was just trying to get ahead of myself. Ugh. Oh god. Okay. This never happened, Joya. Alright. It definitely shouldn't be a... Uh, that easter egg. I'm definitely not doing that. I don't care. All I right. have a reputation to uphold.
1: Okay. I'm a classy woman. Okay, you're
0: not allowed to have a breakdown. That's my thing. I have breakdowns. You're the sensible one.